0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and we're very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to be continuing with the theme that we've kicked up a number of times over the last year or so, uh, starting last December, in fact, with a show on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, something that was rather secret and actually remains rather secret to this day, even though one of the reasons, if not the primary reason, uh, President Obama was just in China was to discuss it in its various iterations with different countries, including China. And it's something that has some very powerful implications for us as a nation and actually as a world and all of the nations that are uh, that are party to it, we're going to be going into some depth because of its importance for our democracy, for our environment, for animals and plants and food and water for everything is uh, actually pretty jeopardized because of the terms of this agreement and we have a few specialists to discuss this with us today as part of our TPP roundtable. I'll do a little introduction right now and then we'll, we'll launch into it. Arthur Stemulis is Executive Director of Citizens Trade Campaign, a national coalition of labor, environmental, family, farm, consumer and human rights organizations working together for trade policies that promote a just and sustainable global economy. Citizens Trade Campaign was the first to publish leaked text of several of the Trans Pacific Partnership chapters and organized protests and other civil society responses at each of the TPP negotiating rounds that have taken place and are taking place in the United States. It is coordinating at this point national campaigns around the TPP. And tra- Fast Track will be going to that as well. Prior to joining Citizens Trade Campaign, Arthur directed the Oregon Fair Trade Campaign. He also served as Director of Government Affairs for the Clean Air Council, and Editor at Common Courage Press, and Economics Editor for Clamor Magazine. God knows we all need some courage in order to do all of this. Our other guest, we have two others, Melinda St. Louis, is International Campaigns Director with Public Citizens Global Trade Watch, where she works with international allies to roll back WTO financial deregulation and to stop expansion of harmful trade agreements. Before joining Global Trade Watch, St. Louis was Director of Policy and Campaigns for Jubilee USA Network, an alliance of 75 organizations dedicated to ending the cycle of crippling debts in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. She is the former executive director of Witness for Peace, a national grassroots organization that supports peace, justice, and sustainable economies in Latin America and the Caribbean by challenging harmful U.S. military and economic policies in the regions. As Mid-Atlantic organizer for the Campaign for Labor Rights, she mobilized consumer campaigns in support of workers' struggles in sweatshops across the globe. Ms. St. Louis has lived and worked in Nicaragua and El Salvador and currently serves on the boards of the Latin America Working Group and Witness for Peace. Uh, She received a degree in international policy and development from Georgetown University. Our third guest is Adam Weissman, who is an organizer with Global Justice for Animals and the Environment here in New York, an organization addressing the threat posed by free trade agreements to animals, the environment, safe, ethical, and sustainable food, and the human rights of environmental defenders. God, that has become way too big a subject. Global Justice for Animals and the Environment is a member group of Trade Justice New York, Metro, a coalition of organizations from diverse social movements working together to resist the NAFTA model. So uh, those are the introductions. Uh, It's a bit of a daunting task to undertake this, but in fact we have no choice but to educate our audience and you in turn to educate your family and friends about what it is we're facing here and we'll be deconstructing this this uh, thing called the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement in just a few moments. Uh, I want to go back first to Arthur, who in the introduction to you referred to leaked texts. My God, that sounds uh, awesome. It sounds like a spy movie. Qu'est-ce que c'est? What do you mean leaked texts, Arthur?
2: Yeah, so the Trans-Pacific Partnership has been under negotiation uh, for years now. (laughs) And all that time, uh, the Obama administration has refused to tell the public what it's proposing in our names. Uh, What we've learned about the TPP comes not from our government but from a handful of leaked documents, first published by us, by WikiLeaks, by a couple of other groups, uh, and you know, frankly, from one-on-one conversations with negotiators from other countries, our government isn't telling mm. us a uh, bucket about it. And, and meanwhile, I'll point <laughs> out that yeah. <laughs> they are granting 600 corporate lobbyists special cleared advisor status, that gives them access to the tax. Uh, so the process. Are these of uh, corporate alone, U.S. You lobbyists?
1: Are these uh, corporate U.S.
2: lobbyists? Yeah, that's right. Are these it's, it's U.S. lobbyists, corporations like like Walmart, Cargill, Chevron, all, all the big corporate interest groups uh, in the U.S. Sort of like the Fortune table. 500. Uh that's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so here we are. A Congress is going to be asked to vote on a uh, text that they only have because of leaks. And, uh, you know, not to put too much on it, but WikiLeaks is one of the sources that U.S. Congress has for understanding uh, legislation, or trade agreement, I should say, that they're going to have to uh, make uh, a vote about. Isn't it interesting that uh, Julian Assange is locked up in London, can't escape, because he's being threatened by the very same government that is relying on him for information uh, so they can make an intelligent uh, vote on this text.
2: Yeah, no, WikiLeaks has made an a important contribution by publishing the text they have received. I will say that after um, quite a bit of campaigning, members of Congress who are extremely diligent now can access uh texts from USTR there. They're required to you know put down their cell phones, any pens or papers to read them in a in a secure room. Um so members of Congress do have access now if they really want it. Uh, but the public, you and I, the yes. advocates yes. are, are the ones who are barred. Just, and, you know, sure. but,
1: yeah. Yeah. I just, I just didn't also I just didn't want the irony of the situation. Uh to be lost on uh on us all, <laughs> you know it just it's just one of those uh peculiarities of politics in general, you know, okay, so well, thank you so much for getting your hands on the documents early on uh so that you could share it uh with with um the public and with your colleagues, so you could help to understand what it is this uh this whole agreement is about. Melinda St. Louis, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you on. Uh, I know you've been doing a lot of work around this. Could you just kind of break this down, uh, tell us what it is as best you can?
3: Sure. Well, it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to to be a part of this panel and to talk to your listeners. Um, the oh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, or the TPP, has been um, under negotiation now for five years. Um, It's a so-called trade negotiation happening between the United States and 11 other countries um, that kind of go around the Pacific Ocean from Latin America, um, Mexico, Chile, and Peru to um, Asian countries such as Vietnam and Malaysia, Brunei, um, and um, Australia, New Zealand, Canada is also a part of it. Um, So, and it is really a trade agreement in name only. There are 29 chapters, as far as we know, that are being negotiated behind closed doors, as Arthur mentioned. Um, only five of them really have anything to do with what we think of as trade, like the setting of tariffs you know, on goods that might cross our borders. The other aspects of it really touch every part of our daily lives um from the cost of our medicine there is a p- chapter on intellectual property that really is about um expanding monopolies for pharmaceutical companies that, that keep drug prices high allow them to challenge um governments that are trying to um negotiate fairer prices for for their um For their government um, procured uh, medicines, and even Medicare and Medicaid could be implicated. Um, The internet freedom is is a big part of this. There are draconian copyright provisions that are being put in there that would criminalize small scale downloading of of um, content on the internet and make our internet service providers have to police. Police our activities in a way that would limit and make um, internet more expensive and 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 more difficult. Um, it um, implicates our food safety. There are provisions that would um, make it much more difficult for us to, um, to to make sure that the food that we import is um, is safe. There um, are extru- there's the one of the invest- one of the chapters are on investment, which was one that um, Citizens' Trade Campaign did help to leak, showed that there um, uh, will allow corporations to be able to attack our laws. Um, um, environmental or public health laws outside of our court systems and so-called corporate courts. Um, it's called in, invest, Investor State Dispute Settlement that would allow um, uh, these secret tribunals made up of three private sector lawyers to be able to raid our treasuries and make taxpayers pay millions or billions of dollars if if our laws affect the expected future profits of, of corporations. Um, there are um, – um, government procurement, so our buy local or buy America policies would be banned under under this agreement um, because that's seen as discriminatory. So we can't invest our tax dollars to to, to support our local economies and support local jobs, um, and and the the list goes on. A financial stability, our um, our ability to regulate Wall Street in the wake of the financial crisis um, is is undermined um, by this agreement, and so you can kind of. Each chapter kind of has its own little um, <laughs> our um kind of concern that, that different constituencies have gotten engaged and involved and, and concerned about, and that's why we believe it's really being negotiated behind closed doors. It's um, that, like I said, they are nearing what they – they're trying to conclude the negotiations. Fortunately, um, it's been very controversial. Other countries are standing up to some of the very um, uh, extreme provisions that um, that I've mentioned um, that U.S. corporations are pushing. Um, and uh but and there's been uh citizen action in all of the different countries, including Japan and in, um Australia and elsewhere, um, to stand up to this. So that's just um a, a little bit I'm happy to answer any specific questions about pieces of it.
1: <laughs> oh, that's all there is, huh? this is just it's so daunting. And basically I think they ought to uh forget about the idea of uh this is free trade for the corporations, and very expensive for everybody else. Uh, the, the use of language is just awesome, because the words have nothing to do with the reality behind it. It's like the the emperor is not only naked, but it's like pulling the skin off. It's just, I'm listening to this with my jaw dropping, and it's not the first time that I've heard it at all, but my jaw is still dropping, because I cannot, it's hard to actually metabolize the information and that the president of our country would be looking to broker a deal that completely undermines all of the fundamental principles of our Constitution and of our country, from the level of democracy to the statutes that were so hard won, having to do with the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act uh, the establishment of the EPA um, anything in the domain of um, uh, what the USDA may be doing to protect uh, farm animals, on and on and on it's just, they should call this the Cannibalization Act of Democracy. Do you know anyone we could submit the uh, renaming to?
3: Now that 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 might be a good idea no it it really is um it's been very disappointing i think for um for people who were make up the base of of that helped to elect president obama i mean he' certainly what, um, campaigned on a platform to renegotiate, to learn the lessons of the, uh, of the mistakes of the North America yeah. Free Trade Agreement or NAFTA. Yeah. Um, and when we've, you know, we've seen 20 years of that failed policy where we've seen, a, you know, decimation of manufacturing jobs in the United States, we've seen increase in income inequality. Um, and, you know, and instead of looking at that and and learning the lessons of from the past what we see is just um an expansion of that and particularly expansion of this of these these corporate courts um you know it's not hypothetical just even um, Ontario, Canada, or no, Quebec, Canada has a moratorium or a timeout on fracking under their main waterway, the St. Lawrence River, um, while they undertake an environmental impact assessment. Well, under NAFTA, yeah. there is a natural gas company that is demanding $250 million in compensation because they are trying to see what the impacts of fracking will be on their environment. And and so, you, you know, we, kind of can see all of these different examples and what the implications could be if we expand that and allow for all of the corporations, the Japanese corporations, the Vietnamese corporations that, that are in, uh, in the United States to be able to sue our, for our local um, zoning laws or, um, and, you know, state-level, federal. It's, it's quite concerning and, and really the wrong approach.
1: Yes, indeed, indeed. Basically, it's gutting everything that we have worked as I said before so hard over decades to put into place to uh, protect people, labor rights, everything across the board, our environment. Adam, if you would please, Adam Weissman, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, Speak to us about what it is you're doing, what are you focusing on relative to actions concerning educating uh people, Americans, and uh what what is the response you're getting besides this? Well thank belief. you
4: again. Sorry. Thank you so much for having me. I think uh we we've only begun to scratch the surface of some of the terrifying things about these agreements. So some of what we've been working to let people uh know about within uh Global Justice for Animals and the environment is that these trade agreements that President Obama is currently negotiating, and we should understand that TPP is the first of only of, of three trade agreements. where oh, There's also a trade agreement with the European Union called the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, and a third trade agreement called the Trade in Services Agreement. That these are trade agreements are actually a step backwards from the trade agreements negotiated by the Bush administration. The Bush administration, in a compromise with the House Democrats, in 2007 2007, uh, instituted a May 10th bipartisan agreement on trade, which built some level of environmental language into the commitments of trade agreements thereafter. The Obama administration has actually gone backwards from that. They went into these negotiations with some high-minded language about a 21st century uh, trade agreement, high standards trade agreement with strong environmental language. But we we found out from these leaks is that they've caved on the, that strong environmental language time and again. And we're going to see a trade agreement here when we finally see the text of this thing that is toothless as far as the environment is concerned. While they've been very aggressive in pushing for these environmentally disastrous investor rights, they've been very wishy-washy when it comes to actually maintaining those environmental rules. So, for example, we were hoping to see in NTPP strong binding language involving commitments to uh, international environmental agreements, mostly multilash- multi- multilateral environmental agreements. That's not there. People were hoping to see language committing to countries having to fulfill their CITES commitments to banning shark finning, which is a practice that is decimating sharks. This is where sharks are pulled out of the ocean so that their fins can be cut off to be harvested for shark fin soup, and then the sharks are thrown back in the oceans to die, which is wiping out shark populations in the millions. uh, There's now guideline language in the agreement about that, nothing truly binding. Malaysia is being promised uh, to sweeten the pot for their involvement in this agreement that the agreement will lower tariffs on their export or first countries to lower their import tariffs on Malaysian palm oil, which is driving the destruction of Malaysia's rainforests and wiping out populations of orangutans, pygmy elephants, Malayan tigers and other threatened species we're seeing under this trade agreement that some of the biggest beneficiaries the people who really stand to benefit are the factory farm industrial meat industry who is trying to uh, force countries to lower their import uh, tariffs and safety rules on food so that we can see an expansion in the u.s. of our industrial scale polluting factory farm production which produces toxic food and tortures animals we're seeing under this trade agreement that, uh, are, as we heard about from Melinda, some of our food safety rules are being compromised. We're going to see more imports of unsafe food, including factory, uh, industrial, uh, farmed Malaysia, uh, Malaysian and imported and Peruvian. Sorry, sorry, Malaysian and Vietnamese shrimp. Vietnam uh, is notable for their toxic
1: as farmed in farm shrimp, raised which, shrimp.
4: That's correct. Uh, mm-hmm. So these are these are the not <clears> the <throat> shrimp that are wild caught. These are the the farm shrimp which they've, when in studies that have been done on the samples of the shrimp, they found toxic pesticides that are banned in the U.S. in pretty much every sample they've studied. Malaysia is importing toxic Chinese shrimp to re-export, and those are going to, to uh, come in increasing amounts into the U.S. We're not going to see an upscaling of inspection, but we will see an upscaling in the volume of imports. And we will have to treat inspection, and in, there's an agenda to treat inspections done on the other end, uh, at the point of production, as equivalent to U.S. exports to sorry, U.S. inspections, to, so that we really won't have any, any any promise over what our food supply will look like. Moreover, companies like Monsanto are pushing for provisions in TPP that will force countries to eliminate their, restrict, uh, their restrictions on genetically modified food, as well as potentially labeling rules. We heard from Melinda about how. Some of our selective purchasing rules can be threatened that are government procurement rules that allow our states to decide what they do and don't buy. Well, that extends to the environment as well. We may see restrictions on things like green purchasing rules or recycled content rules. Um, so, what, this, what would, the, the
1: would that look like? Well, right now, one thing that our government. What would be an example of a green purchasing rule? So, let's say you would have to buy the toxic counterpart. Instead of uh, a clean and green uh, product,
4: we basically would not be able to consider to build these green considerations into what we choose to buy. We would have to be these would have to be decisions based on the uh, countries. If we held those things in consideration, the uh, foreign companies could could say that they were being discriminated against by those rules. So, for example, if we put in place rules saying that we don't want to import wood products that are destroying rainforests in Peru that could or or that or in or from Malaysia's uh endangered rainforests oh, yes, that could be challenged uh, yeah. by some of the companies in in uh in these countries or or in that, or companies that have investments in exporting from these countries TPP can you know if we really want to talk about renaming anything TPP anything that would in other words consider, anything
1: that would anything that would uh support what we could call a green agenda or green values where you know there's Let's say zero waste, or the use of products that would not be sustainable. We would uh, really
4: have that, the right you know, to
1: choose. What Excuse we're me. seeing
4: under TPP is our government is being limited in terms of what it can actually do. Democratic policy space is being closed as more and more uh, as corporations are being put in charge. TPP is really a system of global corporate governance at the expense yeah. of our sovereignty, at the expense of our democracy. We you were go. talking before about yeah. renaming TPP. If I can just throw one other potential name into the ring that allows us to sure. even keep the TPP acronym. So when people say TPP to you, what you can remember is that it really stands for the polluter's power grab, because that's really who's going mm-hmm. to take charge yeah. here. Um, these investor yeah. rules we've seen under NAFTA, Melinda talked about the case with fracking, another kind of case that we've seen time and again, is that when countries have tried to ban toxic chemicals, this has happened a lot with Canada, where Canada has banned toxic pesticides, those uh, bans have been challenged through NAFTA tribunals. There is even a case where a pesticide is being phased out globally because it is found to be so toxic. Canada banned that pesticide, and a NAFTA tribunal ruled in favor of the corporation that Canada does not have a right to ban this pesticide that is being phased out globally. So really this is... Uh, limiting our right to and choose has that been what case we import that, into our country.
1: Has that been a case that's been jurisdicted and, and uh, decided in favor of the NAFTA court?
4: Yes, and there, there are many of these cases, in fact, where there have been rulings in support yes. of forcing countries to import toxic chemicals that we don't want, that through our laws, through our courts, we decide we don't want in our country. And apparently we have to take them whether we like it or not, according to these tribunals. And yeah, so going into an go agreement...
3: No, I would, just, I would just say that, that what happened is that, that Canada has had to – decided to reverse the ban to not have to, to settle and then still paid – Canadian taxpayers had to pay millions of dollars um, to the company. Um, you know, the, the NAFTA tribunals will say you can keep the law, but you have to pay millions and millions of dollars um, to the corporation. So oftentimes the governments will decide to, ch- to change the policy.
1: Right. So, in other words, uh, they had to pay him what was perceived as lost revenue.
3: Exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: From the the lack of sales. Yeah.
4: Mm -hmm. And part of what makes that so disturbing is that. Yes. Finish. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, part of what makes that so troubling is that it creates a chilling effect on the passage of new legislation. Even if, (sighs) and these we don't countries don't always lose these cases, but because there are these massive potential payouts it creates a, it, it creates pressure for uh, laws to never be passed in the first place uh, because there's yes. a fear that if they pass these laws and they're taken to these tribunals, and particularly with smaller countries that have smaller economies and smaller national treasuries, they not, may not be able to afford the impact of these settlements. And so they don't choose oh, to pass okay. laws in the first place.
1: Absolutely. No, it's... It's uh, clearly a recipe for disaster. There's no question about it. I want to let you all know that you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please uh, share our uh, shows and our links with your family and friends. We always look to bring information to the table that uh, needs to be discussed, needs to be thought through, having to do with having a uh, healthy life, a healthy environment, um, healthy government, everything across the board. It's It's really a way of thinking holistically about all the aspects of our lives on the micro and the macro levels. That's what we're up to here at A Better World, because if we don't address each and every level, we're not going to have a true Holy, holistic kind of life and world. We are spending this entire show discussing the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership. It's uh, a daunting task to do so, and we have some real experts with us. Arthur Stamulis from the, who is the director of Citizens' Trade Campaign. We have Melinda St. Louis, who is the director of the International Campaigns with. Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. And we have Adam Weissman, who is an organizer with Global Justice for Animals and the Environment. And we're uh, really taking a pretty deep dive into the meaning and the implications of this trade agreement, which is being basically discussed and negotiated in private. Uh, and uh, I'd like to turn to you, Arthur, for a moment um, on somewhat of a different level. We've gotten a number of the daunting specifics of how this would essentially eviscerate of the various difficult, in themselves, democratically won safety measures that we have as statutes in our country that has taken literally decades to put into place. I I can't help but scratch my head and ask... Why is this happening? Why would the president of what is called the freest nation in the world, which we could also you know, uh, deconstruct that one, but for the moment we'll put that aside and say, why in the wide world would Obama, or any president for that matter, be in favor of uh, brokering a deal that would limit his own and his nation's own
2: sovereignty? It's a wonderful question. And I think what it comes down to ultimately is these hundreds of corporations that stand to make uh, millions, if not billions of dollars for the TPP to move forward. They're lobbying hard uh, for this pact. Uh, President Obama has appointed Frankly, some of the worst economic advisors uh, possible.
0: Yeah, has them in front of the
2: entire administration. People who invented NAFTA, who invented the WTO. Um, so yeah. that's not helping. But, but frankly, it's, it's that you know these these policymakers are listening to corporate lobbyists and not the public. Um, increasingly, the public is waking up. Shows like yours are helping to get the word out, and people are yeah. pushing back, and and more and more members of Congress, at any rate, are starting to say no. Um, yes. But, you know, it, it takes a lot of work to go up that, against that type of money's interest.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, it seems like money is just, I mean, we are talking among friends here, but money is just a little bit too shallow, a reason to literally eviscerate um, a 250-year-old uh in democracy that has despite appearances, uh, true pillars of um, principles, of values, of integrity of an entire body of people, Uh, and to just sell out because of... I mean, they're selling out every single day in Washington with the lobbyist core. Uh, it's, It's egregious what's going on, but what's going on here is so egregious. It is so outstanding. It is so obvious a destruction of our democracy. I mean, it's not even hidden. Uh, As I was speaking with Adam a little bit before, I said this is, we we could easily make a case that based on business as usual in Washington, there has been a corporate coup d'etat that has taken place over the past at least 25 years, if you want to think about it as uh, slightly gradual and a little bit more gradual over the past, you know, 50, well, maybe you could even say since the the passage of the Federal Reserve Act, which really sort of cemented things, but even not to go back that far, but uh, we see that there has been a very clear corporate coup d'etat with Citizens United and on and on, just sort of sealing the fate of the role of corporations in our in our government. But all that aside, if I could dare say that, um, what we're looking at here is a, a total dressing down, a true complete takeover that is not to be reckoned with i mean there's there 's no recourse. I want to just share with you all uh, an article that uh, my colleague uh, Gary Null brought forward just the other day on his radio show, which is a study from Princeton. Maybe you know of it u uh, s is no longer an actual democracy. A new study from Princeton spells bad news for American democracy, namely that it no longer exists. Asking who really rules, researchers Martin Gillens and Benjamin Page argue that over the past few decades, America's political system has slowly transformed from a democracy into an oligarchy where wealthy elites wield most power. Now, to all of us here on this roundtable, this isn't considered new news. But it's actually been studied and researched and uh, statistically analyzed about how decisions are made, who are making the decisions, on behalf of whom, who are the beneficiaries, who are the losers, and the net result is that this is no longer anything that matches the definition in Webster's dictionary of a democracy. Melinda, your um, comment.
3: Yeah, I I, w- I would say that I do think that that this is a good moment to bring in the the issue around fast track um, because I I think that you're absolutely right that that the TPP and these types of corporate-led trade agreements that are negotiated behind closed doors, I mean, basically they are an end run around our democracy. They're trying to get um, to pass, basically diplomatically legislate, kind of through negotiating these agreements. Then it comes back and we basically have to swallow this huge package um, that has very little to do with trade. And the way that that um, can happen is through this mechanism called fast track. Under our constitution, the um, it's the Congress, the U.S. Congress, our legislative body that has the authority over our trade policy, and that is actually um, a hangover from the Boston Tea Party um, itself, because that was about the tax on tea, and there was there and and trade policy, and so our founding fathers uh, decided that it was important to have checks and balances on the executive. On trade policy and so the Congress has the authority well and and so it's our executive branch so the president and and his uh, his staff they negotiate with foreign governments but the Congress controls it however it was actually in in the 1970s that um, pr- Nixon actually cooked up this fast track um, uh, which was a, basically a delegation of Congress's authority to the to the president to negotiate an agreement to be able to sign it before Congress ever even really could approve it, and then bring it back for just an up or down vote, no amendments, ninety days, no debate, you know, very limited debate, and, um, bait, and actually having the president l- write legislation. That's the only time in our um, you know in our legislative system that that's the case. They bypass yeah. our commit the Congress's committees and everything. Yeah. So this is a total end run around democracy, and but. Uh, but I will say that this is something that can be stopped, and actually has been stopped before, and 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 can be stopped again. This is this. Um, there is not fast track authority right now. Um, the uh, President Obama has been trying to get fast track uh, for the past year, and actually, Democrats in his own party, almost all the House Democrats, have said no. We will not give a, this authority. Um, and a large chunk of Republicans also don't want to give this authority over. Their leadership does um, because they are so, you know, bought and sold by Wall Street. But there are constitutionalists yeah. and and those who are are much more skeptical who who do not want to. And um, and so this is really a, a, a situation of kind of the elites um, who are corrupted by the money in our political system versus the public who. Uh, and this is yeah. one issue that it's Republicans, Democrats, and independents who do not like this policy and do not want um, these more of these NAFTA-style trade agreements, and they don't want um, fast-track. And so I think uh, in the late 90s, uh, President Clinton wasn't able to get uh, fast-track under a similar uh, scenario, and I think that that will happen again. It's important for, yeah. uh, for listeners and people to get involved and to tell your members of Congress to not give fast-track authority um to to the president there's a website stopfasttrack.com where, that will connect people to to be able to do that
1: excellent excellent that's a very important point i'm very glad you brought it up this is uh this whole subject is uh at least two pronged it's really multi-pronged and first of course is the content the text of the agreement itself and the other is uh what are the mechanisms of government that would allow it to uh, be ginned through quickly or to go through proper uh, discussion and democratic process. It seems to me, and Arthur, I know you've been involved in the fast-track process and opposing it. Isn't the very notion of fast-track in direct contradiction to the vows that Congress makes to uphold the interests of the people? Do I sound horribly naive when I ask that question?
2: This is not at all. I mean, it's absolutely (laughs) an abdication of Congress's uh, authority over trade policy, and it's also an abdication of their responsibility to their constituents. Um, You know, we, we put policymakers in place to make policy, not to hand their power. Yes. Uh, you know, to make policy not just on trade, but as Melinda said, you know, over financial regulations, over food safety, over medicine patents, uh, and on and on down the line, uh, to give away that authority is, is outrageous. And you know, as Melinda yes. indicated, there have been two major pushes for fast track already, led by the Chamber of Commerce, the Business Roundtable, and mm-hmm. others. And people have come together and fought back both of those. Just last week, there was a, a Stop Fast Track week of action. Uh, over a million different voices went into Congress opposing fast-track for the TPP and, and other trade agreements. Um, and, you know, we're going to see next year with the new Congress another major push for fast-track. They know that the clock is ticking on the TPP. They know that the clock is ticking on fast-track because once we get into presidential election season, there is more accountability and, it's you know, none of them want to deal with trade policy then. It's so unpopular. Um, so we're going to see it early next year. But if we continue to come together as this movement of movements, uh, I think we'll defeat it again. And, it's you know, it, this is such an overreach. It affects so many different policy areas and issue areas and people um, that, we, you know, we, we finally do have the power to stop the corporate onslaught because we come together as environmentalists and family farmers and workers and unions. And internet users and, and students and, and so on down the line, and that type of power, when you know, when when we actually come together and work together, um, is hard to reckon with. Yes, absolutely. What is the? And role? I would just. Oh, I'm sorry, Melinda. Yeah, please.
3: Yeah, I would. I would just jump in that that and say that we have defeated these types of agreements before. This is not a done deal and it's not something that's inevitable. And when we've been able to defeat Fast Track before, we were able to then defeat the free trade area of the Americas, which was a massive NAFTA expansion that was supposed to uh, encompass all of the countries of the Americas. And it never completed. And it was because people stood up. And I think that was an overreach. And TPP is an overreach. And so we're going to need to defeat it again. But I think the fact that we're facing this is also, you know, a a recognition of, we need to recognize that that is also because we have been victorious before.
4: And one thing I think we need to, sorry, go ahead.
1: Very important point.
4: I yeah, if I could just add a point. I th- uh, one thing that we've seen a lot of since the election is that the media, which up until now has wanted to talk about anything but TPP, has really been yeah. carrying forward this message. It's largely coming out of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. That now, since the midterm, there's a sense of inevitability that the one thing that the Republicans and Obama will be able to do together is pass these new trade agreements and pass Fast Track. Mm. And what that sto- what and the reason they're, I mean, part of the reason they're pushing that it, there, it is that it's not entirely true because one of the things they're not talking about is when we're talking about all the different constituencies that are concerned about these trade agreements one group are conservatives who are afraid of how this is going to attack our constitution and attack sovereignty we have very legitimate concerns that these trade that these trade agreements are not within the spirit of our constitution that fast track really flies in the face of Article One Section 8 the, uh, of the, the Commerce Clause of Article One Section 8 of the Constitution, that the last thing conservatives who are concerned about sovereignty want to see is tribunals at the World Bank and UN that uh, could, in effect, uh, supersede our U.S. laws. So a lot of the Tea Party members of Congress have actually been quite vocal on these issues. People that we don't normally have much as an as an environmental organization we don't usually have much to agree with on are really speaking uh, the same message with, with us that when it comes to fast track people like michelle bachman have had strong things to say on this issue so you know the last person we'd expect to agree with anything on but about 26 republicans uh, set 20, sorry 23 republicans uh, from the conservative end of the republican party sent a letter to president obama last year and six more moderate republicans Sent a second letter expressing concern that fast track is really against the spirit of uh, what our Constitution is about, so we have an opportunity now with many new Republicans in Congress to really uh, work with people who are not normally our allies uh, to team up and or at least speak from both sides as to why fast track is a, and TPP are bad deals uh, for the u s and really uh, bad things that we need to fight
1: absolutely it's a very funny point at the end of the day we see that uh left and right meet <laughs> they are it's a the world is truly a globe and a circle and uh the things that appear to be separating us and no doubt there are you know clearly there are there are differences but uh there are certain fundamental uh principles that unite all people and they are not really um party-sensitive. Uh, I'm I'm all for making parties illegal, to tell you the real truth. That's a whole other conversation. But, uh, you know, this is very interesting, because I, I'm still puzzled, and I still don't feel like I have a, a full answer. And it could be that none of us really can get into um, the president's head to understand uh, how far he is being pushed to do this. And what kind of money or future uh, profession, when his term is over, would merit this kind of subordination of our Constitution and our body of law to a corporate uh, jurisdiction? I I just, to me, it, it goes beyond. So when you talk about the constitutionalists, of course, he's a constitutional lawyer and one-time professor. When we talk about even, you know, the the principles the Tea Party is seeking to uphold here in light of the trade agreement and fast track, well, at least fast track, uh, you know, the, there's something that is so out of sorts here. It's it's so extreme that it it, it seems to me it can't just be kind of a tossed off as um him doing the bidding of the corporatocracy that's been going on for a long time this is such a quantum leap beyond anything uh normal or sensible i'm i'm I guess i'm having a little trouble uh grasping it help melinda well
4: Congressman Alan Grayson has said that a lot of it i mean and this is maybe perhaps an overly charitable interpretation for the President, but he says that really where we need to look for a lot of the most destructive aspects of these agreements is within the office of the u s trade representative our uh, current uh US trade representative is a former Citigroup executive who took a four million dollar payout on his way out of Citigroup uh in in deference to his uh, future public sector work uh in at the office of the US trade representative at uh, the office of the US Trade Representative, his US name? representative. Uh, that's Michael Froman. And so Alan Grayson says that the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative basically works like a revolving door for corporate lobbyists. People go into USTR coming out of the private sector, continue pushing the corporate agenda in USTR, and then leave USTR to go back into the private sector where they will be richly rewarded for their good service uh, to corporate interests. Or people get jobs at USTR and do the corporate bidding so that they can, after USTR, uh, you know, build their their foundation at USTR, and then go go into the corporate world and be rewarded for being such good corporate servants while in their public sector jobs. So really, this is a case where we have a, go- a rogue government agency that's been captured by corporate interests, and from the top down, uh, is pushing this this corporate agenda. Into at one point, the chief agriculture negotiator at USTR. Uh, was a former lobbyist for CropLife, which is a, a, a the lobby group for companies like Monsanto, which are pushing uh, genetically modified foods and pushing all these other uh, really destructive agriculture policies that are so threatening to the environment. So really, the people making we don't only have the corporations advising the uh, through these uh, through the uh, the negotiations these 600 corporate advisors who have inside track access to the texts. But the people working there as well are really on the same page with this corporate agenda.
1: Yes. Uh, well, by the way, talk about revolving doors, every single agency in the United States government is a revolving door from the FDA, which is one of the most obvious ones, to uh, the SEC, to the USDA, to the DOE, to the CDC. They are all revolving doors for the pharmaceutical for big agra it's just and financial institutions melinda
3: I, I i would agree i mean i would also note that um you know and we mentioned the very draconian tra- copyright um provisions that are being put in that um the chief negotiator for um for that chapter in in the TPP left and went to work for the Motion Picture Association of America, um, which has been pushing for these uh, provisions, et cetera. So, I uh, you know I mean I I would I would definitely agree with that, and I and I think that um, yeah I mean maybe I I mean I because of uh, ruling Supreme Court rulings like Citizens United and McCutcheon, you know it is less surprising to me that that is what you know that that is the direction that you know that our elected officials are are moving um and that to you know to be pushing this and i think there's but there's also then this um element of just the the economics of quote free trade is um is Generally supported, um, you know, by mainstream economists, and so you you label it or you wrap it in a free trade agreement, um, you know, blanket, yeah. and then people start to accept yeah. it, and so without actually knowing what the details are in there, you know, I mean, I you, we yeah. see for example we see the the Cato Institute, the uh, you know, libertarian think tank, pushing for this agreement. Saying that saying that they shoo it, but if you talk about the details and you talk about well, what about the intellectual property provisions that expand monopolies? They say, oh yeah, that's not really free trade. We don't really like that. Well, what about these corporate courts that push it? Oh yeah, we don't really like that either. That's not that's kind of antithetical of free trade. But we like free trade, so we like the TPP. You know, so I mean, I think it's it's important yeah. to break yeah. it down and to say yep. no, this isn't about free trade.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. That's why things have to be named their proper names, and that's not what's happening here. But I want to—we're—we're really out of time. uh, But I want to just come full circle here. You each have made such wonderful uh, points and contributions here to this roundtable. I want to just thank you each for being part of this. Uh, There is uh, a point, Melinda, that you made that I think is very important. To two parts of it. One is uh, that fast-track, unconstitutional as it may be, has been perceived by others as being, oh, just fine, and it has been utilized in the past. But it is also, this is the main point, it has been defeated. And we are in a position, folks, to defeat it again. It should be rescinded as even an option from my and and probably our point of view, right? And the same thing has to be said about the TPP itself, the Trans Pacific Partnership. There have been others, as you as you cited in South America, in uh, Latin America, that was defeated. You know, uh, an outcropping, if you will, of of uh, NAFTA, was defeated because the public rose up and let their voice be heard. So even if I quoted from an article from Princeton University about the death of democracy, so to speak, it's it's still breathing. It's, it's on its back, but it's still breathing. And there remains the possibility of public outcry and uh, action. And each of you, of course, is participating and uh, promulgating that in your own respective ways, which I think is just fabulous as are your organizations. But wait a minute, before I let you go I'd like to ask, is NAFTA or any of the other agreements that are in place currently are they rescindable? Is there a recourse, a legal recourse I should say to rescinding these agreements that are in place?
3: Well, it's it is it's very difficult. I mean, and that's what the danger is of these trade agreements. It locks in these these laws. You cannot change them unless you agree all the parties agree to change them. And so it takes it's very difficult to change. However, with the political will it can be done, and particularly the political will of the United States, if the United States demanded a renegotiation of NAFTA or, or, or that we need to, you know, scale it way back, or so forth. We could that political will could, you know, we could do that, and that was actually something President Obama said that he was intending to do. Um, so uh, it's very mean very Senator difficult. You Senator Obama? Why, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean that's why it's important for us to stop TPP because it will be very difficult, especially when you have 11, 12 countries and more countries. And the important thing about TPP is more countries can join later. It's set up to be so that China can join, Russia can join, anyone that's in the Asia Pacific um, region can join later. And so uh, this is not going to be just the countries that are part of the TPP. It's very dangerous. Um, It can be stopped, and I think that it can, um, you, you know, with political will, if we can stop TPP, then we can start to have a national conversation that's about we want fair trade policies, even among those that, we, that we've that we already passed. There's a website, exposethetpp.org, that I encourage people to take a look at um, that has a lot of information and ways to take action, and, again, the stopfasttrack.com as a way to take action.
1: Excellent, excellent. Uh, one other thing I do want to bring up, I mean, it's as though uh, – the food and the water and the air and everything else, the animals, uh, isn't enough, you know. Uh, but the thing that people live on these days, uh, maybe even more than food, is the Internet. And what would this look like it would do to net neutrality? Uh,
2: so yeah, Arthur, or Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. possible with the investor-to-state provisions – uh, that telecom companies could could attack net neutrality, especially if new net neutrality uh, laws and regulations were put in place after the T V P were enacted. The, the IP chapter that was leaked also introduces the concept of secondary liability. So if I post, you know, a video of my daughter <laughs> dancing to some copyrighted song on YouTube, not only might I be uh, guilty of a copyright infringement, but Google might be held accountable for that copyright infringement. And so it requires our Internet service providers and other Internet companies to start policing Internet users um, and and could, you know, a lot of people warn that a chilling effect on innovation on the Internet. Um, So, you know, you see groups like Fight to the Future, Electronic Frontier Foundation, Open Media, and others um, really engaging on this issue in a big way now.
1: Yes. Okay, if you would each, thank you for that, Arthur. I appreciate that. Uh, I just think that that hits people so much where they live, you know. Just, you know, what is it gonna, that's going to open the eyes of people to the to the true seriousness of what this is, and uh, where everyone seems to live in a state of overwhelm, yet this is something of such, such deep uh, importance that literally is threatening our way of life, as is climate change, I sort of put them you know this is the human the human side of climate change there you know this agreement is looking to change the entire temperature and climate of our social you know stratosphere you know and our political stratosphere it's It's just daunting. What are the websites each of you would like people to uh Connect with, learn more from, and get into action through. Arthur, would you start, and then Melinda and Adam, and we'll, yeah, you, we'll you can up. visit
2: our website, uh, trade dot org, and also that stopfasttrack.com dot com mm-hmm. is a great site to take action through. Excellent, thank you.
1: And Melinda,
3: I would. Our website is tradewatch.org. There's a lot, of, a lot of information about all of these trade agreements, not just TPP, but also the transatlantic one, TISA, and as I mentioned, expose the TPP.org.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Adam Weissman.
4: Yeah. Uh, for people who want to learn more about the environmental, food, and animal aspects of TPP and other trade agreements, um, I would recommend looking at our website. Free trade. Uh, we have two URLs for it. The short one is gjae.org. The easier to remember one is freetradekillsanimals.org. And for people in the mm-hmm. New York metropolitan area who want to learn more about how we can fight these trade agreements in our area and hold our elected officials' feet to the fire. Um, they should look at tradejustice.net and find out how we can get involved in stopping fast track when Congress does try to push this uh, terrible, undemocratic uh, law policy again in the coming years.
1: Yes, excellent. Well, I want to thank you all for your uh, sharing your knowledge and experience with us, and uh, all the good work that you're doing to stop this in its tracks, the fast track and all the other ones that are uh, contributing to the forward movement of this. Really, thank you so much, each of you, for being on today's show.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, That was just uh, an awesome, awesome uh, conversation and roundtable that just reveals uh, you could say our greatest fears of uh, what a corporatocracy would look like, and our rights on all levels, um, and our enjoyments, our simple enjoyments of life as we know it. Uh, It's, as you know, where, the way I kind of put it is, we're oppressed already enough. There has already been such an evisceration of our rights to date already. There's already a corporatocracy in place. There is already the uh, the loss of justice uh, everywhere you look, everywhere you look I mean, from Ferguson uh, to uh, the Justice Department in respect to Wall Street, from Ferguson to Wall Street, we see that there just isn't uh, any true justice taking place, and uh, it is just completely um, making our human life, our American life, so challenged and we work, so many of us, so diligently at educating people so that we can exercise our democratic position and right and stature and the principles that our founding fathers, and I will add mothers, uh, why aren't the mothers added to that, uh, stood up for and, and struggled so hard to, to, to put into place and to sustain. And I don't want to go into it, but what they had to do, or what they did do to the native peoples, the indigenous peoples of our nation, uh, maybe this is all coming home to roost you know maybe that's what's going on but uh i i myself make the argument that this is not about money it appears to be about money it appears to be about power we're dealing with some profoundly pathological uh individuals who are no longer their own men or their own women Uh, For instance, the trade representative that was mentioned uh, by Adam just now, uh, or our president himself. These are people who have been willing to abdicate their own principles and their own integrity for some kind of um, corporate commonality. And the heads of the corporations themselves nobody can want. There's no such thing as needing that amount of money. It's not real. It's a sickness. It's an addiction. And it needs to be seen, I think, as such. We're dealing with addicts in power. And they are power addicts. Uh, A really interesting uh, segment Of film that won the uh, Academy Award for Best Documentary a few years ago, I think it may have been in 2009 uh, or 10, was Inside Job. And one of the points that was made in that very profoundly and well was the brain scan of a cocaine addict and the brain scan of a Wall Streeter who was very busy c- cutting deals and you know making pennies on a dollar and sh- in the sale of a million dollars of stock or some such thing, and the um, neurochemicals, the neurochemistry of both of those brain scans, both of those brains are virtually identical, and from my view, yes as a psychotherapist for many years and involved in holistic thinking of mind and body as the fractal relationship to what we see on the outside of us in the form of government and social institutions and the like. Our society at large is an outpicturing of the inner dimension and physics proves this out now. This is no longer some kind of metaphysical notion. This is now known to be so that that's actually the way the system works. And when we think of it truly holistically, when we take the inner life and the outer life as one and look at the through lines here, it all starts to make sense. No one grows up and says, I want to destroy the world. No one wakes up and grows up and says, I want to be the very richest man in the world, no matter what, that we will kill species off, and we will kill peoples off, and we will kill all other uh, businesses that are in competition with us off. It's just, it's it's not the way uh people grow up. It's not the way people think. But over time, they start to go down a very deep rabbit hole in terms of their own belief system and value system, which which grows out of that. And before you know it, they're doing things that are egregious in nature, that are out of integrity, and they have no scope on it. They've lost perspective. And then they build consensus around their being off. That's called the Fortune 500 companies. That's called business as usual and government as usual. They have lost sight of the consequences of their thinking and their actions. And I really didn't want to discuss this with my with my roundtable tonight. Not they would appreciate it very much. But they're so involved and so committed to the good work of doing battle on the levels on which the conversation is taking place as though it were a rational conversation. It's as though everyone has drunk the Kool-Aid and so we have agreed to engage on the level of rational seemingly rational discussion about something as utterly pathological, egregious, outrageous as a free trade agreement, we dare call it a free trade agreement, that could be of benefit in some peculiar way to people or to respective governments? Oh, no, 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 no. You would have had already to slip far down that rabbit hole to even engage the conversation. Are you with me? To even engage it as a a reasonable conversation. Of course, we're being pressed to do it, but I prefer to change the platform of the conversation to one of looking at this from the point of view of health and pathology, because even the conversation is a pathological one. I think I've made my point. I I don't think that we can say, you know, uh, I'm willing to allow you to um, destroy the uh, cattle population, but you must give us the pig population. You know, you cannot touch that. You cannot endanger these beautiful pigs, but you can do as you would want with genetically modifying our cattle across the world. You know, wait a minute. Wait, you, once you've dove in, once you're in that deep, everything is colored uh, through that lens. It, it doesn't work. You have to back up completely and say, what supports health? What supports human happiness? What supports well being? Ah, yes. What supports love? and what supports true human values and integrity. And when you come to that place, then you can have a conversation. And so what it means, of course, is that we have to see how uh, money has been misperceived as being something, as God Almighty, as being deified, distinct from being Possibly, and it is debatable, but let's just give it this, uh, a reasonable measure of exchange between parties in order to solve, to resolve, to, um, in a sense, barter between products and services for living. But when it gets so out of hand, as it clearly is today, uh, where you know all politicians are bought and paid for, etc., etc., through dollars, uh, which, by the way, in itself is uh, a dying currency in the face of the BRIC countries and the shifting away from uh, the United States of being a reserve currency in the world, based on bad politics and bad relationships throughout the world between uh, this government and this white house and others it's just it's just again it's the emperor without clothes but when you back up far enough when you take a higher altitude toward all that's happening here even the very existence of war i don't have to say it this is madness it is madness and many have seen this over the years ourselves without any question, it's been so obvious that we have come to a point of emotional psychological and brain maturity that we no longer need war, no more. We no longer need to go down that horrible rabbit hole that all of our earlier species iterations have gone and we can really graduate to another level. We can focus on solutions. We have so many. We have so much brilliance as a human being. If we were to just let it shine and let it grow and let it expand and feed that, not our shadow, not our dark side. It's only human to have it. Understood. granted. And that's where we need to tap into our sense of compassion for each other, not to war on each other, including what's going on here. I personally believe, bottom line, that if we were able to have a round table of the captains, of the Fortune 500s, of the WTO, of the IMF, of the World Bank, of the leaders of of countries, and we were to, as I playfully said this summer uh, at the Weinreich House when FIONS, uh, Friends of Institute of Noetic Sciences, was partnering and putting together a beautiful day uh, where we had a number of speakers, and in my talk I spoke of uh, playing the music. Oh, and I was laughed at, but appreciated. No, I think people really enjoyed it. Playing the music of the respective countries that of the people who are sitting at the table to actually negotiate peace worldwide, the end of racial and ethnic conflict worldwide, and to end any type of monopoly corporate or otherwise, or governmental, i.e., yes, United States, worldwide. I think it would be a lengthy conversation, but by starting with playing the folk music of the respective countries, so that the leaders of the countries and the leaders of of the corporations would find that place in their heart that music brings forward we would soften these hearts, and we would quiet the minds. We would touch upon something that is truly sacred. And from that place, conversations can be, could be conducted to eradicate war and prejudice and elitism, and as uh, Robert Fuller, who was a guest on A Better World television some years ago who wrote a book called Rankism. Rankism would be put aside, we really could do something major. We could really do something major. And if there are, say, 200 countries, we're not going to do it all in one long dinner. No, let's not be silly. But let's say, take the top, you know, the so-called G7 or G8, and come on, guys, Let's get on with it. Let's stop brandishing our muscles. Let's stop strong-arming. Let's stop, stop the testosterone race. Let's come to a space of balance between yin and yang, between our male and female parts, between our shadow and our consciousness. And let's have a real conversation. A real conversation. I can only tell you, It's one of my great hopes in this world, and one of the inspiring thoughts that carries me through doing what I do here at A Better World, A Better World Media, A Better World as an organization, that we live on a shoestring budget here, and we continue to push forward every week with our two radio shows and one television show, and try to make magic happen, to inspire people, not to feel downtrodden and to feel victimized by the madness, but to become imaginative, creative, and to activate the will so we can kind of get on with it on a personal level and let that emanate and radiate out to a collective level. So listen, thanks so much for joining me today and our wonderful roundtable. This has been the second of two uh, sequential shows on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I don't think there's any mistake that we all recognize the true seriousness and sobriety of the situation. These folks are not kidding. They mean every bit of what they're saying. It's a complete global corporate takeover, not just local as in our government. (laughs) You know, they're going for the juggler. And really, you can speak to people in Congress. Our word when spoken aloud makes a difference. It makes a difference. I'd like to uh in closing refer you to uh the work of Sam Daly Harris who wrote a book and we discussed this on these airwaves uh, Reclaiming Our Democracy. And in that book Sam lays out the actual strategies of accessing your uh representatives in Congress and in the Senate, and having some serious, real heart-to-heart conversations that can really be conversations that make a difference. And there's something about human beings that we really know how to listen, and we really know how to do this. It's creating consensus around certain ideas and continuing with steadfastness to bring them forward. Thanks so much for joining me. Mitchell J. Raven, here at A Better World. I love hearing from you. Uh, my e-direct email address is mjr at abetterworld.net My initials, mjr at net. I love your comments, your uh, experiences of the show and share it, forward it to others. And if you don't yet get our newsletter, aye, 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 go to abetterworld.tv and certainly sign up for it. There we also do accept donations, uh, whether it's a one-time donation or a weekly donation or a monthly donation. We do use PayPal. Uh, we are looking at other means, uh, and uh, but for the moment, this is what we have. Believe me, any bit makes a difference to help us sustain. As of now, it is really through my counseling practice stress management consulting um some business consulting that keeps us afloat folks, and it's a lot of work it's like having three jobs, so to whatever extent you can uh participate. I'm telling you truly some people give five or ten dollars it helps when many of you give five or ten dollars, it really helps. But if it can be more, if you know, benef- you know benefactors who really have some dollars and want to put them to good use, God knows we are here to serve. Thank you again, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.